That's right. I forgot a very important announcement, so I'm so grateful for Treasurer Bob Durian reminding me. We have, for the congregational meeting, if you'd like to be prepared for that, we have the full budget at the back table for you. Um, we have one copy per family is what we ask. If you'd like to take a look at that before coming to the meeting, you're invited to do so. Is that good? All right. Does anyone in here love waiting? Just, you just love waiting around. Is anyone's here favorite place in the world, the waiting room? I've never heard anyone say that. I've never heard anyone say they love waiting. Because waiting's what happens between two other things. And waiting, I think there's a song about it, it's the hardest part. Even if we're waiting for something bad to happen, a lot of times the waiting is agonizing, and you just want that thing to be over. But then we also know the flip side. The most exciting things in life are the hardest to wait for. Think about Christmas as a kid. Oh, boy. The questions from my son has already started. Is tomorrow Christmas? Nope. I got like 25 more sleeps until Christmas. And he can't understand time that way yet, but he's trying to figure it out. I remember as a kid, that was the longest month of the year, and then finally Christmas Eve comes and you go to a Christmas Eve service, it's a beautiful service, but then you have to wait for your parents to stop talking to everyone because they talk to everybody at church and you're the last to leave, and then you go off to grandma's house and it's a long drive so you're waiting to get to grandma's, you're at grandma's house, you have to wait for the adults to stop talking to each other so you finally get to open your gift from grandma, and then you want to go home but you have to wait to go home because the adults are talking to each other. And then you finally get in the car, and it's an hour-long drive, so you're waiting. And every single Christmas Eve, I promise, I'm pretty sure it's true, there's an icy blizzard and you couldn't see anything, so it took like four hours to get home from St. Joe. So you're just waiting in the back of that little station wagon. You finally get home. And then the worst wait of all comes, the sleeping. Oh, as a kid, there is no worse sleep than the night before Christmas. It takes forever to fall asleep, and then you wake up early, and you're forced to wait until that time your parents say you could finally wake up, and you're just waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. Parents finally wake up, and then they go downstairs. They say they have to get everything ready, and you're like, I thought Santa was involved. What do you have to do? But you're waiting, and you're waiting, and finally, you go downstairs, and we open our presents one at a time. So you open a present, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And that's essentially the life of any child is a life of waiting. But the reality is, as a kid, every single time, Christmas was worth the wait. Because Christmas as a kid, you're learning about the true meaning of Christmas, but it's kind of just all about presents, right? In fact, without all that waiting... All the anticipation, the buildup, it may not have even have been so amazing once Christmas finally came. And here we are in Advent, a season of waiting, of preparation, of expectation, of anticipation. 
It's the season in which we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we also feel the anticipation of the return of Christ the King. We stand in the middle of these two realities, that there was an arrival in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but we also look forward to a coming arrival, the second coming of Jesus. So in Advent, in the midst of the tension between these two arrivals, we wait. And one of the beauties of Advent, each year, we are reminded of the important fact that waiting in the kingdom of God, it is always worth the wait. And it always has a purpose. Just as in pregnancy, when one finds out they are having a child, there's a longing and a waiting for the birth of that child. Certain days and weeks, that waiting feels long and terrible and hard, but you know Deep down in that time, good stuff is happening in the waiting. New life is being formed. And so that is how it is with Advent. As we await the birth of Jesus, we are pregnant with expectation for what will happen. So this year, during Advent, we're looking at some of our favorite Advent stories to see how God works in the waiting and how often the ways in which God works are unexpected. We know that sometimes in life, the best things are unexpected. So in light of this Advent theme of hope, that's what today is all about, we are looking at unexpected hope as experienced by Zechariah and Elizabeth in the birth of their son, John, John the Baptist. So we're going to be spending time in Luke chapter 1. Now, just a little bit of context. Uh, before Jesus' birth, before he came, the Jews of the time had believed that the Holy Spirit had not been active for uh, more than 400 years since Malachi, who was the last prophet. But now we read, once again, of God visiting his people. So Luke 1, we're going to start with verses 5 through 7, page 723 in your pew Bibles. will also be on the screen there. We're going to be looking at a lot of different uh, chunks of this passage, so just keep your finger in your Bible if you have that with you, but starting with verses 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. We know that name. Both of them were upright in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are described as righteous before God, that they walked blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. They were rock solid, good, and faithful people. But there's a tension here. For they had no child. It says Elizabeth was barren. They were old. Seemingly, they missed their chance to have children. And we know some choose to not have children, but here we know it was a longing desire for them to have children. The text tells us later about that reality. There's this longing desire for a child. 
and it has gone unfulfilled. Their hope for a child faded long ago. They waited, and they waited, and they waited, and it never came. But what this text tells us is Zechariah and Elizabeth not having children yet was all a part of God's sovereign and wise plan for them. So let's continue with verse 8 through 20. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers uh, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah, he asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So the angel Gabriel reveals himself to Zechariah. And the typical reaction we see all throughout Scripture in the face of an angelic uh, presence coming or a God revealing himself is they're afraid, they're fearful. And I would be afraid too if I'm just standing there and all of a sudden an angelic being pops right next to me. But every single time, the response is the same. Do not be afraid. And then Gabriel calls him by his name, Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. But what prayer is Gabriel talking about? We don't have the transcript of what Zechariah was praying for. But when you dig in, we can see that the meaning behind that is twofold. First off, Zechariah was, as the text tells us, a priest. And this was his appointed time to enter the temple of the Lord to pray. And what they would pray for in those times, they would intercede on behalf of Israel as a nation. So we know while he was in there, he was praying for Israel, for God to be with Israel. But we also know the other, that Zechariah must have prayed hundreds of times over many years for a child. And now at last, when it was most unexpected, the answer has come. 
your wife will bear you a son. And not just any son, but a key servant of God. The angel even spells out the child's calling and path. I mean, talk about pressure for John, right? (laughs) But the amazing statement is that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even at birth. When you dig into the Greek, it means in the womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This coming after the Holy Spirit at that time was believed to have not been active for over 400 years. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they will have gladness and joy, both because of their blessing of a son, but also because of what God will do through their son for the nation Israel and also the world. His prayer has indeed been heard. But then we read his response. How can I be sure of this? How? How can this be possible? Have you ever done this? Someone comes to you with an amazing dream. Maybe it's a prayer that you have had for years and years and years and the answers never come. And maybe someone presents you with the possibility of it. And your response, a very natural human response, is how? Anytime May comes to me with a great, awesome vacation plan idea, I'll say, yeah, but how are we going to afford that? How are we going to get there? What are we going to do with the kids? And she's like, hey, could you just let me dream a little? <laughs> and I howed it to death. But that's a very real and natural response. How can this be? How can I be sure of this? And then Zechariah shares what's been on his heart, what's been the pain of him and Elizabeth for years and years, is we are now old. This can't be. And as we know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were described as righteous before God and having walked blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. That means they're aware of the story of Abraham and Sarah. He knows that this has happened before. He knows that God can do the miraculous and God does what he says he will do. So what does that even tell us? That even the most righteous and faithful still have doubts. Even in the presence of an angel, even with knowledge that this has been done before, can have doubts. Because what is doubt but wavering hope? And if something goes unanswered and unanswered and unanswered, your hope starts to waver. Because it's one thing to actually know something and think that you believe it, but when you actually come face to face with it, it's hard to believe it sometimes. And it also shows how unexpected this all was. That if Zechariah and Elizabeth, if they had any smoldering hope left, just a little ember of it, no matter how small, these words would have ignited that truth. But Zechariah's response shows us that that hope has faded. Which honestly is a natural part of the healing process sometimes. Because when our hope fades, we usually need someone else to remind us of God's word or the eternal hope that we have. For Zechariah, it happened to be Gabriel. Gabriel, who says he stands in the presence of God. Now that is a job title right there. I stand in the presence of God. 
And Zechariah, his ability to speak is taken away from him. And actually later on in verse 62, it indicates he may have lost his ability to hear it as well. It talks of them making signs for uh, Zechariah to understand what they are saying. So this happens as a rebuke, but also notice at the end what Gabriel says to him. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in that time. Zechariah was asking, how can this be? And Gabriel saying, you can't speak, but this will happen. This is going to happen. This is true. These promises are true. That hope has been restored. For Gabriel declares that what God has said will come to pass. And it's not in Zechariah or Elizabeth's timing, because surely that was many years ago, but in God's timing and in God's way. So Zechariah comes out of the temple. He's unable to speak. When his duty is done, he goes home. And in verse 24 and 25, we read that after this, his wife, or excuse me, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Promise fulfilled. Audacious hope restored. The longing of Elizabeth's heart has been revealed. And when Elizabeth talks of the Lord taking away her disgrace, she's revealing one of the very sad truths of that day and age in which childlessness was culturally and socially considered a disgrace. Now the hard reality is, if we're honest about ourselves in this day and age, that's pretty much the same. Those who struggle with infertility, and when people constantly ask them, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Not realizing the deep emotional struggle that is. For those that choose not to have kids, and the fact they feel they have to explain themselves, that disgrace still remains. And it's very, very delicate and painful for many people. We know Elizabeth and Zechariah's prayer was granted, but we also know it isn't always granted in the way we desire. Now for Elizabeth, she was old. Which means this miracle, when it came, there was no more thought or belief that, that this was anything outside of God's doing. So this unexpected hope, it was reignited within her. Now, we're, also, we're not very clear. It doesn't spell out for us why she remained in seclusion for five months. But perhaps she just wanted to make sure it was legit, you know? Like five months, you can't really question if you're pregnant or not anymore. It's, it's kind of obvious. Or maybe she just was truly relishing this gift. But what we do know for sure is that she spent that time by giving thanks to God and worshiping him for this blessing by acknowledging that this gift has come solely from the Lord. To finish our passage here, we're actually going to skip ahead to verses 57 through 66. We're going to look at the in-between there next week with Mary. But today, we're going to pick up from 57 through verse 66. Now, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. 
her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. But they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. So then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. So he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, doing what? But praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So John is born. Just as Gabriel said back in verse 14, that many rejoiced at his birth that was fulfilled. And then we see another fulfillment in the naming of John, as well as Zechariah's faith. Now think about this. Nine months, Zechariah hasn't been able to say anything or possibly even hear anything. Now his ears are opened, likely to the sound of his crying baby. The first thing he does with his restored voice is to bless and praise God. Just like Elizabeth when she became pregnant, the appropriate response to hope experienced is worship to the giver of that hope. And what happens? But the people are all filled with awe. And all throughout the land, the people were talking about these things. The people were talking about the reality that God, who they had believed to have been silent for 400-some years, was at work among them right now. And hope is restored. And hope is spreading. Because where the Spirit is, there is hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth, as we talked about, would have known that whole Old Testament. They would have known all the prophecies of God sending his Messiah to save his people. And this is the event that triggered in their minds that this is the moment. They knew exactly what was happening. We know they knew this because just after this passage, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he, he begins to speak a prophecy in which he's proclaiming that the promised time of salvation, as told in the prophets, it has begun. And that John is the one who the prophets foretold would make a way for who but Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the eternal hope of the world is coming. It's happening. It's finally happening. Before Gabriel shows up and speaks, their hope was fading. It was wavering. That's a long time for the people of God. 400 years is a long time and even before that, the prophets kept speaking of a future thing. It was a long time. It'd almost be like, we know Jesus Christ is coming again. 
We know that and we believe that. It's almost as if he showed up right here, right now. We would be amazed and we'd also probably be a little surprised. Because even though we believe it, the idea of it happening right here and right now, it's hard for us to grasp. And yet it could be. Just for them, they knew that the Messiah was coming. They didn't know when. And this event triggered in them. It's right here and now. We have hope again. And do you know what the name Zechariah means? Yes, the Lord has remembered. Like bonus like Bible points. Can I give those out? I don't think those are a thing, but the Lord has remembered. God remembers. God remembers his people. In that 400 years, he remembered. He remembers his promises. He remembers you and knows what you are going through when you feel hopeless. Even if your prayer isn't being answered in the way you desire it to be, he's remembering you and he knows what you are going through. And he is working it out in his own timing and in his own ways, in ways we can't understand. So what does the story tell us? That God knows, God is near, and God is at work in the waiting. So, whatever you're going through in life, whether you're waiting for something really good, or you're waiting on something that seems bad, we can wait with hope. Because hope will often come to us in unexpected ways, in ways we cannot even imagine or see or think about. But we know that sometimes in life, the very best things are unexpected. So what is it you are waiting for? Where do you need to experience a thrill of hope? Because whatever it is, know that in this time, in this space, in this moment, God knows your heart. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows the cry of your heart, the longing of your heart, the condition of your heart. God is near to comfort you and to guide you. And when you can't feel him, he will provide people in your life to care and comfort you. To know that you're not alone. And while in the waiting, it may feel like nothing is happening. God is actively at work. In the most unexpected of ways, just like he was in John's birth. Just like he was even more so in the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world coming to be born as a human baby of a virgin. Talk about unexpected and talk about amazing. God is in the waiting. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, this season of waiting is true. You are worth waiting for. But just like Zechariah and Elizabeth had experienced in their longing of their heart, sometimes it feels like our prayers have gone unanswered or that they haven't been realized or that you don't hear us. But Lord, your word tells us that you do hear us. And your word tells us that you care and you care deeply. 
So God, in this waiting, in this longing, in this tension, we do pray that we can feel and see you. God, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, for the reality that the Savior of the world has come, as we prepare to celebrate, Lord, we pray that you will meet us here today and renew our hope in you. And Father, as we prepare to partake of the feast of communion, the assurance of your promises, of your sacrifice, of restored relationship, we do it, God, knowing that we are sinful people that have fallen short. And yet, because of your abundant grace, you cover us in your love and mercy and forgiveness. And if we ask it, you give it. So Lord, we ask it now. Forgive us for the ways we have fallen short. Meet us where we are, God, and bring us back to you. We thank you for these gifts, Lord. We thank you that you're always near and you are always at work. We pray this all in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.